Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And so we resume at Perak Zion Pasuk Yud Gimel. Now, Emir Tzashem, we have a share this week. We're all here. Here's the share. Um, for the next two weeks, I am away. Then Emir Tzashem will meet again on the week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And the two weeks after that will be Erev Yontov. So it's probably not going to happen. So uh, I did think of cancelling it the whole time, but I don't want to miss a share when we've got a chance for it. So we, I'll be here anyway, if anybody else is here, in three weeks tonight. That is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then three weeks after that. Yeah, that's right. Okay, but here we are in Perikzion, Pasuk Yud Gimel. And we've already said, and actually it's relevant to say, in Pasuk Yud Bet, there was rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And then, Now that's normally translated on that very day, in the essence of the day, the Atzmut Shalyom. Ba Noach, v'shem v'cham v'yefet, b'nei Noach, came Noach, and Shem, Cham, and Yefet, the sons of Noach, Ve'eshet Noach, and the wife of Noach, Ushaloshet Neshevanav, and the three wives of his sons, Itam, with them, El Ha-Teva, into the Teva. Uh, Rashi doesn't make a point here, as he does on, we've seen two cases already, that the men and the women were separate, because relations didn't happen in the Teva during the flood. I think he's mentioned that twice already, that's probably enough, he doesn't need to mention it again. But what he does comment on is the words, Be'etzem hayom hazeh. And he says, This teaches us, the Pasuk teaches us, that there were people in that generation who said, If we see him entering into the Teva, we will break it and kill him. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hashem said, "Ani kulam. I will bring them, bring him in, in the eyes of all of you, davar mi yakum, and we will see whose words will be established, mine or yours." Now, what's going on here? Rashi, by the way, it, the, almost at the very end of the Torah, at the end of Hazinu in Devarim Lamad Bet Memchet, where it says Moshe died beetzem hayom hazer. Rashi says there were three times it says etzem ayom which doesn't mean that's the totality in the Torah because it's more than that, but three times it has a particular meaning. And he tells this story again with a slight difference. And the other time is the death of Moshe and the other time is Yitzhia Mitzrayim. They were all etzem ayom And he says there's a link between all three. It's interesting that he tells the same story there as he does here, but with embellishment. Um, and he's saying in all three cases, um, people said, Hashem can't do that, and if we see him do that, we'll stop it. Namely, when Moshe's about to die, the people loved him so much, they said, we're not going to let him die. When the Jews came out of Egypt, the Egyptians said, we're not going to let them out. And this is the third case, chronologically it's the first. Hashem, uh, the Pasuk says, the Rashi says, but the Pasuk says that there was a desire to frustrate Noah going into the Teva, but Hashem said, I don't care what you guys think, I'm going to bring him into the Teva. Why? It all comes from Be'etzem Hayom Hazer. And what does Rashi understand? Etzem, if you look at Shemot Kafdalad Pasuk Yud, that's where it says, and I don't have a Shemot in front of me. Does anyone have a Shemot? Yes. Shemot Kafdalad Pasuk Yud. 
That is the end of the parasha Mishpatim, where various people go up the mountain uh, to accompany Moshe. Uh, what do I think? Kafdalad. And it says there, Vayiru et Elokei Yisrael. They saw the God of Israel. We won't explain that because it's too hard to explain. And the essence of heaven in purity. But it means there that they had a vision of heaven. And etzem means to see it clearly. And that's how Rashi understands etzem ayom hazeh in these particular cases. In clear sight, or in plain sight, would be a very good translation. That's how Rashi understands etzem. So in plain sight, Hashem brought Noah, etc. into the Teva. And therefore, etzem means in plain sight. So Rashi has to explain what's going on. People looked and saw. And even though they said, we won't let it happen, Hashem said it will happen because Hashem did it in plain sight of those watching. By the way, it's not the main point, but you get from this sense just how bad the generation of the flood were. Not only did they reject when, over the 120 years when Noah was building the Teva and the Midrash says, Rashi said that they went and asked him, why are you building this Teva? And he said, because Hashem's going to bring a flood. Not only did they not take notice of that, but they even wanted to deny Noah the chance to save himself. They were not only indifferent to the building of the Teva, they were opposed to the building of the Teva. And unfortunately, in every generation, there are people who are so far removed from doing the right thing, they want to prevent anybody else from doing the right thing. And that's what uh, the, the story that Rashi tells here. Yes? Um, if you use Be'etzim as on that day, yes. not in plain sight, um, it seems to... Took him a bit uh, out of order. Uh, there, there is a little bit of, it's like, it's like, of recapping. On the 17th day, I assume when we're talking about on the 17th being, being Be'etzim on that day. But it goes. What? Well, that's it, a, it means the start of the flood. Of Yud Aleph. Yes. It talks about a specific day, and then it goes to 40 days, and then it goes back to Be'etzim yes. on that day. Yeah, it seems that Yud Aleph is a recap of um, Zion. No, 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 I'm talking 13 to 11. Yes, I know, I know. But, but, if you, but there's other things that have happened. You see, in Zion, they came to the Teva. And by the way, let's mention again what we said last week. Rashi says that, that Noach was makatne emuna, was lacking in emuna. He only went in when the waters of the flood pushed him in. Um, here, we get a slightly different twist. That Noah, that Hashem is bringing him in, in front of everybody. The muscular David reconciles those two by saying that Hashem brought him in here in Yudalat, but he was still going in and out. He was still like popping out to get more stuff and coming back in until in Chet, sorry, in Zion, Hashem, the, the waters finally pushed him in and the door was closed. Although the door's going to be closed again in a minute. So the answer to your question, we, we are going backwards and forwards in time. Okay, we're, I, we're flash forward and we're flashbacking, flashing back. I don't know. We're having a, a, a projection and we're going backwards. And it seems that Noah entering the Teva is described by my count uh, in three different occasions. So we're going backwards and forwards between them. Okay, so um, let's go on to Pasuk Yud Dalad. Hema, they, that's all the people went into the Teva. 
and all the beasts lemina to uh, according to their species and all the animals according to their species earlier on rashi explained that lemina in this case means the ones who had not perverted their species uh, he said a couple of times that the animals etc were punished because they interbred which was not hashem's plan um, and lemina means those that did not interbreed and all the creepy things that creep on the earth, according to their kind, and all the birds, according to their kind, all birds, all wings, or maybe winged creatures. And Rashi on Sipor Kol Kanaf says, it's joined together. And if you look at the trop, um, kol Tsipor is a mercha, and Kol Kanaf is a soft pasuk, and a mercha, that's the note under the pay, links with what comes next. So Tsipor Kol Kanaf means a kol, all birds of all wings. That's the point. It's not all birds and all winged creatures. You might read it as Kol Tsipor and Kol Kanaf, two separate things. Rashi says, Davuk Hu, it is joined together. And then Rashi tells you what it means. Sipor shall kol min kanaf. The bird of all winged creatures. But then you have a question. And the question therefore is, why do I need to say kol sipor kol kanaf? I know that birds have wings. Everyone knows that birds have wings. So kol kanaf is superfluous. So Rashi says, l'rabot chagavim. To include grasshoppers. Why does that include grasshoppers? Because they are winged, but they are not birds. So kol tzipor kol kanaf is actually to be understood as a drasha of all birds and all winged things which were not birds. I realize it's actually a little bit funny because Rashi makes the point that it's a smichut, it's a it's davuk, they're joined together. And it means all birds of all wings. But the fact that you then have of all wings, which is superfluous, comes to include things which dafka are not birds. That's how Rashi explains it. Now then, there's another comment of Rashi, which is, I don't know if it's in your books, and it is in brackets, because uh, it's not in the original sources, which means it may not be Rashi's original text. Um, which makes sense, because it's a little bit hard to understand what it's doing here. He says, so for the, in brackets, Kanaf Lashon Nodza. The word Kanaf really is an expression of feathers, Kamo, like we find in Vayikra, where it talks about how to bring a korban of a bird, Vashisa oto bichnafav. You separate it with its wings, which means Sha'afilo notzata ola, that even its feathers are part of the burnt offering. So there, Kanaf, that Pasuk in Vayikra, is there, the word Kanaf means feathers. You take the feathers and they're included in the burnt offering. You might have thought they're not because if you burn feathers, it doesn't smell very nice, but that is part of the offering. Afkan, also here, Tsipor kol min marit notza. Tsipor means every species which has the appearance of feathers, and the fancy word for that is plumage. Now, why does Rashi need to say that? Uh, to tell you what the word Kanaf means which is uh, because, he, and he's saying here also, kol tzipor kol kanaf means every bird that has not wings but, but feathers. And a, a tzipor is something that has feathers. My problem is we really could have managed without. 
He's already said kanaf actually here is to include not feathers, but to include grasshoppers. Yeah, so it seems like grasshoppers would fit better on the yes, without what without the feathers bit. But even without what, like making them into a like dubbok. Um, if there was two separate categories, then grasshoppers seems like. Yeah, that's what I said. So maybe it's a paucity in my understanding, or maybe the the pshat is such that it brings a drasha which actually contradicts the way the pshat is formulated. By which I mean, Rashi says, it's Davuk, and therefore, what Rashi doesn't say is, well, having said that it kol tzipur, kol kanaf go together, kol kanaf now becomes superfluous, because you know a tzipur has got kanaf. Okay. And therefore, what does kanaf mean? On its own, it means chagavim, it means grasshoppers. So you see my, my problem? That Rashi says, you've got to put them together, but once you put them together, because kanaf is superfluous, you actually darshan it on its own. If I've understood the Rashi. And then he goes on this bit about feathers, but I, I'm happy to say, it makes me more comfortable to say that's not part of the original Rashi, because it, I don't quite understand what it's doing there. It contradicts the Rashi. It contradicts? Like, well, could be. It, well, it doesn't say Dvar yeah, yeah, But Rashi doesn't say in the first, it, Rashi, it, Rashi doesn't say, Kanaf means Chagavim, and then Kanaf means feathers. It's not like that, which might imply there's two separate uh, interpretations which should be separated by a Dvar Rashi doesn't say, in the first case, it means grasshoppers. It's l'rabot chagavim. L'rabot means it comes to include grasshoppers. What comes to include grasshoppers? The redundant word, the extra word, meaning kanaf. Why do we have an extra word? Ah, to include something else. That's how we darshan lots of pasukim. And is chagavim solely to represent grasshoppers? Well, grasshoppers, like locusts. All those that have... Locusty things, more. yeah. Okay, let's go on to Pasuk Tet Zion. So, I, oh, Pasuk Tet Vav, let me not make the same mistake again. I almost missed it out because Rashi has nothing to say, but we'll say it. Vayavo el Noach, they came to Noach, that's all these animals. El ha-teva, to the teva, shnaim shnaim mikol basar, asher bo ruach Two by two of all flesh which has in it ruach chayim. Is there a Rashi? No, oh, in Kafbet, there's a Russia about Nishmat Ruach Chaim. Sorry, that's what I was thinking of. So there's no Russia on Tet Vav. In Tet Zion, Vahabaim, Zachar Unakeva, Mikol Basar, Ba'u. And those that came, male and female, from all creatures, all flesh, they came. Ka'ashet, Siva, Oto, Elokim, as Hashem commanded him. Vayizgor, Hashem, Ba'ado. And Hashem closed it, Ba'ado, which will translate in a moment. This, by my count, is actually the third time that Noah comes into the table. But it's not a problem, because that's how the Torah works. It's not giving you a strict chronology. A happened before B, happened before C. It's flashing backwards and forwards and giving you different aspects of the same incident. So in this incident, this aspect, Hashem is the operator. Noah has like, come in, but now Hashem closes it, ba'ado. What is meant ba'ado? And that is what Rashi talks about in his comment on Tet Zion. Hagin alav, he protected on him, shalo shavruha, so that they should not break it. Who's they? The people in this generation. The people in that generation, whom we referred to in Pasuk Yud Gimel. So now, not only does Hashem bring Noah into the Teva, which I translate as in clear sight, but he protects Noah from the fate that these people wanted to um, pursue, namely to break the teva. So what did Hashem do? He kif ha-teva duvim va'ariyot. 
he surrounded the Teva with bears and lions, the Hayu Hargim Bahem, and they killed them, i.e., the lions killed the people. So that is Vayisko Hashem Ba'ado, Hashem closed it on his behalf or for his sake. And that is the Rashi's understanding of Ba'ado according to the, this explanation. But then he says, Upshuto Shel Mikra. Now I'll give you the simple explanation. In other words, the first explanation is not Pshuto Shomikra, it's the Midrash, the story about bears and lions, that, that's the Midrash. But the simple explanation is, Sagar Kenegdo Min Hamayim. He closed it opposite him from the water. He closed the, the Teva to protect him from the water. Now I have to say, I think it's a very subtle difference. In the first explanation, Ba'ado means on his behalf. And in the second explanation, it's connecto in front of him. There's still not a huge difference between them, but there is a difference. And the second explanation, he closed it in front of him. So Noach's there, and he closed it in front of him. And then he says, And every time you see Ba'ad in Scripture, it means in front of or opposite. Those two are geographically the same thing. Somebody standing here and somebody else is ba'ado, is opposite him or in front of him. But then Rashi gives a number of examples and we'll see that, well, to me anyway, it's not quite so clear exactly how to translate ba'ad. So the first one is ba'ad kol rechem. And that is perak kaf pasit yudchet. And that's in Bereshit, so you can look there. If you look at perak kaf pasit yudchet, you will see that when Avimelech took Sarah into his harem, <coughs> Hashem punished him with various uh, afflictions. And uh, Avraham Davan, when, when Sarah was restored to Avraham, Avraham Davan, that's Perakaf Pasit Yud Zion, that uh, Avimelech and his household should be um, healed of the afflictions. And then Yurchet says, Ki atzor atzar Hashem ba'ad. Kol Rechem, Levet Avimelech. Hashem had closed up in front of every womb in the house of Avimelech. Aldovar Sarah Eshet Avraham, because of Sarah Eshet Avraham. So no women could conceive because their wombs were closed up while Sarah was held captive. Rashi says it was more than just wombs, it was just the whole bodily functions, in fact. And there, Ba'ad, this is an example that Rashi quotes as to show that Ba'ad means keneget. Or which we would say in English, in front of or opposite. So Hashem had closed up in front of all rechem, all wombs in Avimelech's palace. The next one is ba'adeich u ba'ad banayich. That is where, um, I forget who, was davening on behalf of um, him and his sons. Uh, do I have a reference here? Uh, yes, that was Elisha. Um, with the Eshet Shunamit, um, uh, no, not the Eshet Shunamit, the other woman who was the, the one where he made all the oil um, come out of the uh, uh, vessels. If you remember the story, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you won't. Anyway, then he davened for her and for her children. So Ba'adech is he davened Keneged in front of her and her children. Now, I have a problem with this one. This is actually the one I was leading up to because it translates better in my mind as he davened on behalf of or for the sake of which was Rashi's first explanation of what Ba'ad means. But he's listing it here as uh, amongst the 
examples of how Ba'ad means in front of, or perhaps corresponding to. And Rashi says here, when Elisha was davening for her and for her children, it, he, Ba'ad means in front of. Not quite sure exactly how best to translate that without going back to it meaning on behalf of, which is Rashi's first explanation, which is not the one he's using here. And then another example, or Ba'ad, or uh, when Eof uh, talks about flesh uh, in, uh, for the sake of flesh or flesh in front of flesh, and Magain Ba'adi, a Pasuk in Tehillim, a shield in front of me, that one works well. And one more in Shmuel Aleph, Hit Palel Ba'ad Avodecha. And that's a little bit like the one from Malachim uh, Bet about Elisha. Now, um, uh, I think Shmuel is davening uh, for your servant. And again, it's a little bit hard in my mind to make it into Ba'ad, uh, meaning Keneged Avdecha, which is what Rashi then says it means. Daven opposite your servant or Daven in front of your servant. Uh, to me, it would have been a little bit easier to say that means daven on behalf of your servant. But Rashi lists this as various examples of where ba'ad means keneged. Okay, ready to move on? Next pasuk, pasuk yud zayin. Vayhi hamabol arbe'im yom al ha'aretz. And the flood was 40 days on the earth. And as I promised you, there's flashbacks here because he's already mentioned the 40-day flood um, back in Pasuk Yud Bet. So this is really a repeat of Pasuk Yud Bet, or it's the same incident. There was 40 days flood on the earth. Vayirbu hamayim, and the waters grew, vayesu et hateva, and they lifted up the teva, v'taram me'al ha'aretz, and it was lifted above the earth. So Rashi says there, v'taram me'al ha'aretz, it was sinking into the water 11 amma. Like a loaden, laden ship which is sunk a little bit into the water. And the Pasukim which are ahead of us will prove it. So I won't go through the maths of how he gets to Yud Aleph, how he gets to 11 Amma. We'll see a little bit later, and it's very clever how he works out it was 11 Amma. So, you know ships have a, a line around the ship, which is how far down in the water they can go? Yes? Okay, they have it. And you know what it's called? It's called the Plimsoll Line, because it was invented by a British minister of the Crown called Mr. Plimsoll, um, because it shows if a ship goes any lower than that line, it's too overburdened, and it's dangerous, and it might sink. So every ship will have a line. And the Teva didn't have a line, but it sank down 11 Amma, and the rest of it was above the water. So Rashi wants to explain at this point, when it says, It was lifted from above the earth, but what was it not lifted above? Anyone? Exactly. It was not above the sea. Now, if you put an empty box on water, it will float and it will virtually not submerge into the water at all. Because Archimedes' principle, the, uh, the, the upward thrust due to the water, will lift it almost entirely out of the water. However, if you put something in that box, then the weight of that box will pull it down and it will be submerged a little bit in the water. And Rashi's saying that this teva, which was full of stuff, was submerged, 
and he proves later exactly how he knows that it was submerged 11 Amma, and that's his comment on the Taram Me'al Ha'aretz. It was lifted above the earth, but it wasn't lifted above the water. So it didn't totally float above the water, as you might have expected, if you didn't realize how heavy it was. Uh, but that's Rashi's understanding of Taram Me'al Ha'aretz. And that's why he says, Mushuka'at Ha'itabamayim. It was not lifted above the water, indeed, it was submerged in the water a bit, but it was lifted above the earth. Yudchet says, Vayigbaru hamayim, the waters were strong, Vayirbu ma'od, and they multiplied a lot, al ha'aretz, Vatelech hateva al hamayim, and the teva went on the face of the water. Now, Rashi has one word on the word Vayigbaru. The waters grew strong, which means by themselves, as opposed to, anyone? Well, he's explaining something. Um, he's explaining the difference between Yudzayin and Yudchet. What's happening in Yudzayin is not happening in Yudchet anymore. The rain. Exactly, it's not raining. See, in Yudzayin, we, we had the Yirbu Hamayim. The waters multiplied. And we know why they multiplied. Because what else is happening in Yudzayim? There was a flood. The water kept pouring down from the sky and up, upwards from the deep. And that's why the Yirbu Hamayim. Now, in this Pasuk, it doesn't say the Yirbu Hamayim. Not yet, anyway. It says the Yigbaru Hamayim. The waters grew strong. So you might think, well, there's no more water coming. What's going on? So Rashi has to say, Me'alehen, the waters grew strong by themselves. So they weren't added to, it doesn't say V'yirbu ha'mayim, it just says V'yirbu ma'od. They were very great on the earth. There was a lot of water, but not there was more water. But the waters were going strong, Me'alehen means by themselves without the aid of more water. And Rashi is sensitive to the fact that the mubble, as it was the rain, has stopped. It stopped in the previous Pasuk. So what's going on by Yigbaru Hamayim? It means not that the waters were being added to by more rain, but they were just strong by themselves. Um, yes? When you talk about, like, the, the, by here, Mabul Abayim Yom, is there in the Mabul powers only 40 days, or the whole 150, or 300, whatever, 350 days, however long? Was that all considered the Mabul, or just the rain, or the downpour? Because it seems here that, like, they definitely use the Yeah, I, I think, although we're a bit sloppy, I think we use the mubble to refer to the Holy Spirit. I think the, the, the Torah uses it to refer to the rain. And that's why you have the Pasuk in your Zion, that the water was for 40 days. Uh, in your Tet, Rashi has nothing to say, but we'll read it anyway. Vahamayim gavru ma'od ma'od al ha'aretz. And the waters were very, very strong on the earth. V'yichasu kol ha'harim. Hagavohim, and they covered all the high mountains, Asher Tachat Kol Hashemayim, which were under all of the heaven. So what's happening is there's a lot of rain, the waters are many and strong, and the waters were covering the high mountains. And then it says in Pasuk Kaf, Chamesh Esrei Ama Milamala, 15 Amot above, Gavru Hamayim, the waters were strong, or the waters were mighty, and they covered the mountains. Now, straight away, there's a question. Any questions? 
So I've said there's a bit of repetition and flashback and flash forward, but here you have very outstandingly, the mountains are covered in Pasuk Yotet, and the mountains are covered again in Pasuk Kaf. So what does Rashi say? Chamesh Ama Milamala, Lamala shel gova kol haharim, above the height of all the mountains, la'acha shehushvu hamayim l'roshe haharim, after the water had been equalized at the tops of the mountains. So what, what happened after the waters had been equalized at the top of the mountains? It went another 15 above. So what happens is, in Yotet, the waters grew and grew and grew, and they got to the top of the mountains. And that's what it says. Vayichasu kol heharim. Sorry, vayichusu kol heharim. In Kaf, then they went chamesh Yisrei ama milamala. 15 amat above. And the question is, above what? So Rashi says, it's above the, what, where they got to in the previous Pasuk. So in the previous Pasuk, they got to 15 amas above. Sorry, they got to level, as Rashi puts it. Um, uh, they got level with the um, tops of the mountains. And then, kaf means they went 15 amas above that. You see, what else might you have thought? Might you have thought about the 15 amas? In Pasuk Kaf, above what? The ground. You might have thought it's above the ground. Which wouldn't work, by the way. It can't make sense. Because? Because you've already got mountains, which presumably are more than 15 amat tall, which have been covered. So if the water is 15 amat above the ground, then how can it be covering the mountains which are higher than that? So therefore, the mountains are already covered, so the Chameshus Re Amamilamala must be 15 amas above the mountains, as Rashi says. Now, why does he say, so now we can try and understand why the Pasuk repeats the mountains were covered. Because what it means is, Pasuk Kaf reads, 15 Amma above was the water strong, the mountains having been covered. The mountains having been covered. Um, there is a Pasuk in Shemot. Uh, I'm going to need it. Yes, Tet Zion Pasuk Kaf. Tet Zion Pasuk Kaf. This is about Man. Shemot Tet Zion Pasuk Kaf. So what happens to the Man if you left it over overnight? Anyone? It goes mouldy. What else happens? Ah, good. Very good. Tet Zion Pasuk Kaf. Here we are. Uh, Moshe told them not to leave it over, but they did. It bred worms and it went bad. And Rashi says there, This is the wrong way round. In the beginning it went bad, and then the worms came. Have you ever studied moldy meat? Don't, it's horrible. But if you do, the mold comes first and then the worms. Yet this passage says the worms came, well, it mentions worms first and then mold. So you have to read it as um, worms, it bred worms having already gone bad. That's how Rashi tells you to read it. So you have to read this pasuk the same way as well. Pasuk kaf, chamesh Yisrael amar milamala, gavru hamayim v'yechusu heharim, the mountains having already been covered. And now it works out very well. It fits very well with what, the way Rashi explains it. 
that it's saying only after the mountains were covered, and that's why it needs to stress it, did it go 15 amma above. Okay, I'm sorry if I made a lot of work out of that one, but uh, there's a lot going on in that comment of Russia. And now we to- go to Pasuk Kaf Aleph, where he says, where the Torah says, Vayigvah kol basar, all flesh expired, haromes al ha'aretz, that creeps, creeps on the earth, ba'of, ubahema, ubahaya, in birds, in animals, in beasts, ubahol hasheretz, hasheretz al ha'aretz, and all the creepy crawlies that creep on the earth, the chol ha'adam, and all people. Rashi's got nothing to say there. Pasuk kaf bet, kol asher nishmat ruach chayim ba'apo. All that had nishmat ruach chayim, we'll leave that for Rashi for a moment, ba'apo in their nostrils, mikol asher ba'charava metu. All that was on dry land died. Now Rashi says on Nishmat Ruach Chaim, says Nishama Shel Ruach Chaim. What's he doing? Well, first of all, there's a problem with too much smichut, really. Nishmat Ruach Chaim is the breath of the spirit of life. So Rashi has to like just sort it out a little bit to say it's the Nishama, it's the breath of Ruach Chaim of the spirit of life. In other words, what's joined to what? Is it the breath of the spirit, it's like, like as one unit, of life, or is it the breath of the spirit of life? And Rashi tells you it's the breath of the spirit of life. Now, that's the first thing, but that leads straight on to another thing that Rashi is doing. What is it that has the breath of the spirit of life? Or, in particular, what is it that has Ruachayim? It's humans. And when you understand that, then Pasuk Kaf Aleph and Pasuk Kaf Bet flow very nicely. Because Pasuk Kaf Aleph says, everything expired. And then it lists various things that are included in the everything. And the conclusion of Kaf Aleph is V'chol Ha'adam. And then Kaf Bet says, Kal Asher Nishmat Ruachayim Ba'apav. And that is explaining... Which part of Kaf Aleph? The last. The last word. Adam. V'chol Adam. I.e. Kol asher nishmat ruach ba'apo. And then it says, Mikol asher becharava meitu. So, ruach, nishmat ruach Rashi has to do one thing explicitly and one thing implicitly. Explicitly, he has to sort out, it means nishmat, the breath of, and then single unit, ruach And that's also borne out by the trot that Ruach and Chaim are joined together. Although Nishmat and Ruach are also joined together. So, but Rashi has to tell you how it works. Is it Nishmat Ruach of Chaim or is it Nishmat of Ruach Chaim? And it's the latter. Why do we need Because then we understand that... Well, sorry, let me go back to stage. You could answer your question, why do we need that explanation? Simply because we want to know. We want to know how to read the Pasuk. Because there's a doubt, there's an ambiguity. So Rashi sorts that out for us. Um, Kaf Bet. I oh, know, I'm asking like why the Pasuk... Ah, okay. That's a good question. So if it's just sort of telling you that it's Adam, we know it's Adam. So I'd like to go somewhere further, and this is my idea, that I think it's stressing it's the reverse of creation. Because what was the pinnacle of creation? What? Creating man. Creating man. And what was the pinnacle of creating man? Putting... The Ruachayim into him, into his nostrils, by the way. 
And now, anything that had that Ruach Chaim is now gone. So my answer to your question, and this is just me, so you can take it or not, is that by stressing that Adam is the one with Ruach Chaim, it's stressing that what's happening right now is the reversal of creation. Because Ruach Chaim should resonate with us. It should resonate back from Peret Bet, I forget which Pasuk, um, where Hashem puts Ruach Chaim into humankind. And now, as it were, that, human, that Ruach Chaim is being taken away. And then Rashi says on the words, Asher B'charava, which were on dry land. Why do we need to know that? So you can look at Rashi, um, but before we look at Rashi, just understand the nature of the question. Um, all these animals um, and people, they're likely to be on dry land. Um, if they're not on dry land, and, well, first of all, it's not their place. Animals don't live in the water. People don't live in the water. But if they were, I don't know, swimming around in the water, they, it's pretty obvious that they would die. So why do we need to be told all the, from Kafala through Kafbet, all the creatures, animal or human, who were on dry land died? Says Rashi, to tell us that the low dagim shabayam, and not the fish that were in the sea. So dry land is to exclude those creatures which live off dry land. The creatures that live off the dry land, they did not die in the flood. They were the fish. Now, by the way, it was last week, I think, somebody asked me, wasn't the water boiling? So how did the fish survive? So I saw the Ramban um, in Pasuk Kav Gimel addresses that very question, and he gives various answers, one of which is that maybe when the fish went out into the sea, where there's enough water that's there, that's already been there, so the effect of the boiling water coming from the deep would not have been so great in the sea because it would have been cooled off by the sea itself. Sort of the opposite of global warming. Um, and that, says the Ramban, is one suggestion of how the fish survive. But it's a good question because uh, it's good enough for the Ramban to ask. And now we go on to Pasuk Yud Kaf Gimel. And it says, Vayimach et kol hayokum asher al adama. And... Um, I'll leave it untranslated. Oh, well, no, it's something to do with wiping out all, the, all that existed, which was on the face of the earth, me'adam ad from earth, sorry, from animal, sorry, from man to animal, ad remes alf up to creepy crawly, up to birds of the heaven, vayemachu min ha'aretz, and they were wiped out from the earth. And then it says, it's like a separate thing, which we'll get to, vayesha'er ach noach va'asher ito bateva. And Ach Noach remained, and what was with him in the Teva. Now, this is a Rashi of grammar. Okay, everyone getting excited? Good. So Rashi says on the word Vayimach, Lashon Vayifalhu, Veeno Lashon Vayipa'el. Clear? Good. What he means is Vayifal is the way he refers to a Kal, and Vayifa'el. In this case, uh, see what this case is in a minute, is the way he refers to a nifal. Okay, any clearer? Kal is active, a nifal is passive. And they're also the names of, the, of two of the seven binyanim. So he's saying it's a kal, which means it destroyed everything that was in existence. And it's one of those cases, now Russia doesn't spell this out, but it, what he means is that if it's active, 
it destroyed, then you have to know what it is. And it is not mentioned. Sometimes Rashi makes the point, and he calls it a mikra katsar. It's an abbreviated pasuk, where the subject of the verb is not explicit in the pasuk. It's implicit. And here, once you've said it's active, you see, if it were passive, you could read it as everything that existed was destroyed. But you've also got the et, very good, thank you, excellent. The et means it must, the kolayakum is the object. So if it's the object, there must be a subject and it must be an active verb. And the subject is implied as the flood. The flood destroyed everything that was in existence. So vayimach is an active verb, it needs a subject, you have to work out what the subject is. Now, let's keep going, because Rashi's not finished. Vahum igazeret vayifen Vayiven. It comes from the same grammatical form of Vayifen, Vayiven. Now the problem is, I'll tell you now, what is the Shoresh of Vayimach? And why you're at it, what's the Shoresh of Vayifen and Vayiven? Anyone? Ah, very good, okay. So Vayifen, the root is Pei Nun Hei. And what's happened to that Shoresh when it's conjugated? The haze dropped off. And that's the point. So this is a lamad hay verb. The root of vayimach is memchet hay, macha, but the haze dropped off. And that's why he compares it to vayifen, which comes from the root pei nun hay, but the haze dropped off. And vayiven, which comes from the root bet nun hay, but the haze dropped off. And then he says, kol teva shesofa hay, any teva, any word, which he means the root has a hay at the end, kagon, bana, macha, kana, kashahunotain vav yud barosha, when you put a vav and a yud at the beginning, nakud bachirik tachat hayud. It's vowelized with a chirik, which is an i, under the yud. And that's why vayimach, and that's why he compared it to vayifen and vayiven, they all have a chirik under the yud, and even though it sounds a little bit like the, as he said at the beginning, it's vayifal and it's not vayipa'el. Now, vayipa'el also has a yud with a chirik. And that's why Rashi thinks you might get confused. You might see the yud with a chirik and you might think, therefore, it's a nifal, it's a passive. But that's why Rashi gives you the whole story that when you have a shoresh with a hay at the end, then in the past tense of the cow, the hay drops off and a chirik goes under the yud. Vayimach is like Vayifen, Vayiven. He built, he turned. Vayimach is he destroyed. But what is it? The he, what's the he, what's the subject? It's the flood. Um, <coughs> Vayimachu. If it was Vayifael, sorry, I'm known. Yes. How would you read the Pasuk? Um, all, the, all existence was destroyed. Okay. 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 And finally, and this is probably where we'll finish for tonight. Ach Noach. So, What's the problem with Ach Noach? How would we translate Ach Noach? How would we translate Ach? Would you say so Ach? <laughs> what? So too. So too. No, no. Let's think about it. So. So. Only. Okay. Only is good. Although, there's a better word for only. Ruck. Okay. So Ach doesn't often mean only. Where would we find Ach meaning only? I, I get it that it sounds sort of good. Uh, and indeed, that's what Rashi says. Can we think of an of a example where Ach means only? Yes, okay, very good. Only that, that which can be done for Ach Nefesh. Okay, 
Um, although even then, it usually has the alternative meaning as well, which we're about to see. Okay, so Rashi's first go. Ach Noach, levad Noach. Zehub shuto. Noach alone. That is the simple meaning. But then he brings umidrash agada. He brings a midrashic meaning as well. Why does he have to bring a midrashic meaning? We'll just bear that question in mind while we'll see what the midrashic meaning is, and then we'll try and answer why he has to bring it. Umidrash agada. Haya gonach. He was groaning. Vakoha. And he was retching. Another version is kocha. I'm not quite sure what that means. Dam. He was retching blood. He was coughing up blood. Pretty awful vision here. Mitorach habahemat v'hachayot. From the work of the animals and the beasts. Just by the way, it's worth remembering that Noach and his family had to work extremely hard in the, in, in the teva. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly how it worked, but presumably they had to look after all the animals, of which there were an uncountable number. And it wasn't a picnic. Um, it wasn't uh, a comfortable existence. And you see from this Midrash that he was groaning and retching and coughing up blood because of all the work that he had to do. And it gets worse. V'yesh omrim. And there are those who say within the Midrash, She'ichar mzonot la'ari, that he was late giving the food to the lion, V'hikishu, and he bit him. V'alav ne'amar hein tzadik ba'aretz yeshulam. Behold, a tzadik on earth is given his reward. So, uh, let's just deal with the last bit straight away. What do you mean a tzaddik is given his reward on earth? It means a tzaddik is given his negative reward, his, his punishment on earth, rather than getting it in the world to come. So Noah, who let's remember was a tzaddik, was, gets, according to this version, gets punished by being bitten by a lion. And how um, is that good? How is that fair and just? It's fair because he wants to get his punishment in this world so he doesn't have to get punishment in the next world. Now, how would you translate Ach according to the Midrash? Any ideas? Okay, so here is what I want to say about how Ach is used in the Torah. And now I'm not thinking of every example because I can't, I'm not certainly qualified to think of every example. But usually um, it's some sort of limitation. It's a mute. Now, the classic limitation is to say only this, only Noach. That's what it means. But in most cases that I can think of, certainly the uh, Chazal will darshan on the word ach and say it limits the thing itself. So I'm trying to think of an example, but I can't right now. But um, ach, um, Sorry, I can't think of one. But, but often, Chazal come along and say, every ach is some sort of limitation. And it doesn't just mean only the thing, but here's the point. The thing itself is limited. The thing itself is reduced. So when you come across ach noach, what that seems to imply is noach is limited. Noach is reduced. There's a miut, a reduction, that applies to noach. And what is a Noach, what is a limitation that applies to Noach? Answer, Noach himself is in a bad way. Noach himself is suffering. Noach himself actually is ill. He's coughing up blood. So Ach Noach is that Noach is there, but it's a limited form of Noach. 
By the way, it's suggestive that Rashi's, if you like, third point, or point 2b, about being beaten, being uh, attacked by the lion, fits with ach from the word makah, it's not quite the same really, but as in to be smitten. So the word ach actually contains the idea of being smitten. I'm not actually convinced by that one. But why do you think we need two pshatim in Rashi? Why does Rashi bring the first, which is ach noach, lavad noach, and the second one is the midrash? So I think um, really because that's how ach is usually used. The simplest way of referring to Noach is Ach Noach, yes, it's only Noach and the people with him in the Teva, and that's it. But that's not the normal way we use Ach. Whenever we see an Ach, there's some type of limitation of the thing itself being referred to. And I'd also say, again, this is my guess, that if it meant Noach alone, it would have said Rak Noach, or even better still, Noach Lavad, because that's the easiest way of saying alone, and then there's no... Um, uh, other interpretation of the word Levad. Even Ruck comes to add some sort of limitation like Ach does as well. So the simplest way, I think, would be to say, if he meant Noach alone, it would have said Noach Levado or something like that. So the very fact that it says Ach seems to cry out, Dorosheni, there needs to be a Midrashic explanation as well. And then Rashi gives you the Midrashic explanation by saying it's because Noach was himself, not just alone, but he was limited. Any questions? No, okay, I think we'll stop there. No, let's just do Kafdala just to complete it, and then we'll be ready for Perachet next time we meet. Pasuk Kafdala says, The waters were strong on the earth for 150 days. So the chronology is that there was 40 days of rain, then there was 150 days of strong waters, and then we come to the like, final chapter of the Mabol, which starts with the next parak, V'yizkor Elohim et Noach. Hashem remembered Noach, and it was time eventually for him to come out of the table. We will stop there. Um, I will not, we won't have shared next week, so I wish everyone a Shana Tova. And uh, may it be a good and worthwhile year for us all, full of growth and full of learning.